is if you build the people, they build the business. If you take care of your people, they take care of your customers, your customers take care of your business. So what we aim to do is build the humans in our organization. So when people first start with us, you have to do a lot of management because you got to build competency and you got to build productivity. If you don't spend a lot of time in management, you, you end up cleaning up their mistakes and you suffer from superhero-itis. You dive in, fix all their problems because you think you're a superhero and nobody can do it as good as you. Of course, no one can do it as good as you. You've never trained anyone to do it anywhere near as good as you. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have on Brad Sugars. Brad is an internationally known as one of the most influential entrepreneurs out there. Brad is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and the number one business coach in the world. And over the course of his 30-year career, he's been an entrepreneur and become the CEO of nine different companies. And we were chatting right before here. And as I've gotten to know Brad a little bit more, I'm just super pumped that you would spend some time with us. And, and I'll just shut up and say, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Yeah, actually, i gotta, I got to update that intro. I've got 11 companies at the moment. I've owned more than 60 companies, 11 that I own and operate today. Awesome. Well, we're going to dig into that. But before we get there, we got to start you off with the difficult questions. What's your favorite ice cream? Rum and raisin. Okay. Rum and raisin has to be. Literally the only ice cream I will actually eat. Is that an Australian one? I've, I'm really uh, It's definitely it, so. in Australia, but it's also here. Ben and Jerry's. Uh, I've seen it with Ben and Jerry's. I've seen it a few places over here. In fact, uh, uh, last place I got it was uh, up at the Cape. So we were up at Cape Cod and we got it up there. So yeah, yeah. Nice. I find I like it every it. now and again. Yeah. Well, you're in Vegas. Any ice cream shops that we should make sure we hit when we're in Vegas? You know, my wife is the ice cream fanatic. She actually invented uh, fruit ice cream and she still makes that. She has a literally a commercial soft serve ice cream machine here in the house just to just for fun. You know, what are you what are you going to do? She definitely is. She opened a bunch of uh, fruit based ice cream shops in New York. Dang, probably 10, 12 years ago now. And she sold out of them since. But yeah. Nice. Well, uh, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Uh, these days, I work two days a week running those 11 companies. Most of them, I have great CEOs in there. The difference between a millionaire and a billionaire is a bil- millionaire wants to be the CEO, a billionaire wants to employ CEOs. So I have great CEOs running all by one of my companies. Um, I coach them uh, generally every week for the ones that are brand new companies, the ones that have been around a long time, probably once a month, I'll coach the CEOs and keep them on track, go over the numbers, have board meetings, that sort of stuff. And uh, that's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays, I create content. I go into my TV studio and create videos and training programs and all that sort of stuff. Because with Action Coach, the company I'm most known for, we have uh, just over 1,100 offices in 83 countries now. So, you know, that they are a they devour content on a weekly basis like you wouldn't believe. We have a, about 280,000 members, and uh, they want content week in, week out. So I got to keep giving it to them and keep keep doing their stuff and uh, jump on podcasts with people like yourself because uh, I just like teaching. It's what I do these days. I, I'm very clear about I give away content time after time after time because people will come to us and they'll join and they'll have our coaches work with them directly and you know they'll pay us for our time, but our content, we're happy to put it on YouTube and put it everywhere and make sure people keep learning. Um, that plus a father of five, my wife and I have five kids, so two at college, three still at home, so... Eventually, we'll get them all to college and then we'll move to a house they don't, can't fit in when they move back. So. 
a busy, busy man. One of the things I want to dig into the businesses and how you kind of leverage your talent to go run multiple different companies at a time. Mm -hmm. But before we get there, I've done a little bit of research and and I've heard that you've also been investing in real estate along the way, basically taking the cash flow from the businesses and moving it into real estate. At a high level, where did your real estate journey begin? Why did you decide to take some of that cash flow and move it into real estate? You know, it it really, because business is such an active investment. Business is a very active investment. You've got to be quite involved in it. Um, So what I was looking for in the beginning for me and for my clients was somewhere to just park money that would just continue to grow. And so very early on, I, I sat down and I learned one thing that made the difference in real estate for me. And it was just the simplest of simple things. And that is that 80% of your investment is paid for by someone else. 80% of it is paid for by a tenant. And you know, people say you collect rent. You don't collect rent. You don't, there's no such thing as rent. There's mortgage payments that they make for you. You know, just let them pay your mortgage off. So you put in 20%, they put in 80%, and 20 years from now you own it outright. And people are like, what if it goes down in value? I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like if it went, if it stayed steady, I made a 400% return. Steady, 400% in 20 years. Hello? If it went down 20%, I still made 300%. And so I started out in the smallest of small things uh, in a little place called Woodridge, Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. Uh, Literally, the apartments were anywhere from, I think the smallest, the lowest we ever paid was 27,000. The highest we paid there was about 34,000. So we were buying tiny little two-bedroom condos. Then we moved to an area called Ipswich, west of Brisbane, moved all of our money. And then we started moving into bigger deals and uh, buying homes. A lot of what we did was buy homes on like one acre plots or close to an acre. So we could eventually rip the home down, put up six pack, 12 pack, eight pack of apartments type thing. And then we moved into medical suites. And so that's pretty much what we do today, the medical suites, because they're dead easy. Doctors love paying their rent and they keep it secure and keep it clean. So, yep. and they're, they're easy. They don't ever want to leave either. Once they build a reputation for that spot, they don't want to leave. Yeah. I, uh, I dug deep and found a clip of you talking about real estate back in 2009. And one of the comments wow. I took out of that was that you said, if your great, great grandmother bought homes in the worst part of town in Sydney Harbor, wouldn't you be happier that she gave that to you today, regardless yeah. of what the homes look like at that point and et cetera. And that was such a brilliant way to think about real estate. I heard another comment too that made me assimilate that. And it said that the easiest way to get rich is to buy uh, a plot of land or a home in Manhattan in 1940 and then yeah. just hold it, you know? Yeah. Um, so well, that's, I, I did an interview recently with uh, Lord Sugar, uh, Brad Sugars and Lord Sugar. It was kind of fun to do that. He, he made jokes because he's a billionaire that owns a bunch of real estate in central London. And he just said, you know, everyone made fun of me. I paid full cash for it. I went in and just bought this stuff and, and I didn't really know what I was doing, but they laughed at me. And now here I am, my own half of Oxford Street. And so, you know, when, when you look at real estate, a lot of people get talked out of it because they, you know, there's people selling stocks and bonds and shares and NFTs and cryptocurrencies and any other currency trading. And they get talked out of real estate because they think, oh, it's got to be too hard. Now, I've owned, we just sold out of it uh, a year and a half ago. We owned one of the largest property management companies in Texas. And the reason I got into that business is to manage my own real estate, obviously. But, uh, 
in the end, if you get a good uh, property manager, and there are a lot of very good professional property managers out there today, and you know the best ones because they also own a ton of real estate. If they don't own a ton of real estate, do not use them. If the accountant doesn't own a ton of real estate, don't use that accountant. If the legal pin, anyone that doesn't own their own, if you didn't meet them first at an investor's group, don't bother using them. You know, my accountant finds me all of the best deductions. You know why? Because he has real estate. Well, yeah. you know, it's it's one of those things. My property manager started because he had 20 properties, needed to create his own property management company. Boom, oh, oh, you use them. So, but I keep coming back to one very simple thing, and that is there's there's no business you can add them. I, I will argue to my death that business is still the best investment in the world. You cannot improve the value of anything the way you can improve the value of business. If you double the profit of a business, you just doubled the value of your asset at the very least. Real estate, I can add 10 to 30% value very quick and easy by just cleaning it up. Just, just a nice cleanup of the property, do the whole thing. You see it on TV every night. I can add 30% value if I do it right. And I can probably do that for 10% of the value of the property if I do it right. You know, And therefore, I get my deposit back and I go do another one. That's a whole other strategy that we can spend years on. But if, if I keep looking at adding value, and I'll tell you one quick story. Now, this story led to a billion in real estate transactions. Not by me, but by my team. So in Auckland, New Zealand, I taught this strategy because there's a whole bunch of two-bedroom apartments. Now, a two-bedroom apartment built in the 70s and 80s also has, most cases, a nice living area and a formal dining area. Now, no one uses formal dining areas. If you buy it, that it's the right structure. What we would do is if it was a two-bedroom, two-bath, we'd go in, put in a third bedroom. It's literally just put up a wall and a door. Wall, door, maybe a closet, that sort of thing. Boom. You've gone from a two-bedroom apartment to a three-bedroom apartment. Now, in Auckland, New Zealand, when we started doing this strategy, congrats to the renovations team. I'm the patron of this team. Uh, when I went back last, they were at $1.1 in real estate holdings as a team, as a group of people. They're now over $2 billion in real estate holdings because of capital value and further increases, even though the New Zealand government made them put 40% deposits. Can you imagine that? They said, we're going to stop real estate. This is the government's thinking, right? And they interviewed me about this and I told them how stupid they were. But what they said was, well, we're going to stop real estate climbing in its prices by putting 40% deposit for investors. I went, well, congratulations. You've just increased rents for us by double in the next five years. You're going to double the rents for us in five years flat. And they're like, no, no, not possible. Boom, rents doubled. They had to stop doing that sort of thing. That's why you watch here in the United States, who's the biggest landlord right now? When you've got these venture capital companies, uh, they're driving rents now faster than rents have ever been driven before. Rental increases now will continue to drive very fast because you've got major VCs running the biggest, uh, some of the biggest landlords in the country. So that's a very cool thing. But yeah, I, I love real estate because I put my money in, I give it to a manager and I say, here's the rules, do that. But also the deals come to you for free. I don't have to do any work to find the deals. I got six realtors and all six of them, I tell them, this is what I buy. If it meets these criteria, I'll buy it. If it doesn't meet these criteria, I won't buy it. So they just turn up with deals and you go, geez, this is really hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, and as long as the bank says yes, you say yes. Um, yeah, I like you know, the idea of having a buy box. You want to start getting deal flow to you. Have a very, very strict buy box and then execute on it when somebody comes to you with that buy box. Yeah. Um, I want I to call ask it rules more. and niche. Rules and niche. You've got to have a set of rules. If you don't have a set of rules, you're not an investor. You're a gambler. You're a punter. You're, you're a, 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 any, any of those words. And if you've got a niche, 
Don't try and niche in everything in real estate. Pick your niche. Two-bedroom apartments into threes. That suburb, that street, that thing. But pick your niche. Know it. Learn it. Be a genius at it. Don't do anything other than that. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with you. And one of the goals of my show is to bring on people from different niches so people can be explored to those different niches, mm-hmm. but then just pick one. That way you're at least known in that niche. And that's when deal flow will start coming to you as well. Um, I want to ask one more question about real estate before we shift into the business stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Do you own, so you mentioned the medical office stuff. Is that in the, the United States? Do you yeah. own uh, real estate in other countries? Because I know you operate in 83 countries. I imagine uh, yeah. you have so, real estate there. Uh, Australia, New Zealand, United States is where I have real estate holdings. Uh, we had some real estate holdings in Asia, but that was only because at the time we couldn't get money out of the country. So we just bought real estate and let it sit there until we could get the money out of the certain countries. Because gotcha. different different governments have different rules. So yeah, that's that's, that's that a whole story I kind of want to ask about as well. People people assume because we're in America that we have the 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 full faith of the greenback in in our pockets that it's easy capital flows throughout the world. They don't understand cryptocurrencies, and one of the reasons is you just mentioned some countries bar the exportation of their capital out of the country. Oh, I've got I've got countries right now where I do business where we just have to invest the money in the country because we can't bring it out. You yeah. know, and and that's those countries are doing that for very smart economic reasons, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to do business there. So I got to play by their rules. That's, that's not uh, the hard thing, but uh, you know, when, when it comes to buying, buy where you're an expert. And if you're not an expert, don't buy there. just don't, you know, and, and people get so hung up on, Oh, look, I'm going to own a property in Florida for my vacation thing. You're an idiot. Don't be stupid. Do you know anything about that market? Are you well? No, I'm going to put it on Airbnb. Shut up! Don't don't even talk to me about that. Yes, you can make money, and I keep seeing all these ads like you know you don't even have to own the property and you can make cash flow on Airbnb. Get into real estate without getting into real estate. <laughs> You're not getting into real estate. All these people that flip properties, they miss the key factor of success. You know, the key factor of financial success is leverage. Do the work once, get paid forever. Why do I love real estate? I buy it one time. First property I ever bought, uh, 17A Jenkins Street, Indrapilly, Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. Now, we've sold it since. But literally, when I bought that property, it took me, it was the first one I ever purchased. I'm, I'm guessing it took me 100 hours to buy that property. Because by the time I looked at everything, did the numbers, did the learning, went through, it was the first time I ever did it. Like that 100 hours, how much did I get paid per hour? Zero dollars per hour. Most things that make you rich pay you zero dollars an hour. Most things that make make you poor pay you an hourly rate. So when I'm sitting there looking at this this deal and, and when we sold it years later and made millions on the dang thing, what was my hourly rate? Yep. You know, that's that's the whole point of it. You want an hourly rate that's that's uh, uncapped, that can be there forever type thing. So um, we normally don't sell. What we do, though, is we upgrade. So at some points in time, we'll sell anything under, like we sold anything under 100 grand when we were starting out. Then we sold anything under a quarter of a million. Then we sold anything under a million. So that it was like we, we just didn't want to have to deal with that many prop, that many deals. We only wanted to deal with a certain number of deals for our capital. Yep. Yep. I love it. And I hope our listeners understand why I was so super excited to have you on the show. I mean, you're dropping knowledge bombs and uh, quotes everywhere. I want to shift this now, though, to your businesses and the Mm -hmm. fact that you're running 11 different companies 
and a family with kids, five kids. That is mm-hmm. insane. And keeping fit enough to do it all. And keeping fit enough to do it all. But you have this talk track around leadership and management. And so uh, could you help us understand the differences between leadership and management when you're looking at your 11 businesses? Yeah, there's a whole 20 minute on this on my YouTube channel if anyone wants to watch it. But the essence of it is a business needs both management and leadership. Okay, management is about two things, and that is competency and productivity. So you need to build competent, productive humans in your organization. So the theory that that we operate on in our businesses is if you build the people, they build the business. If you take care of your people, they take care of your customers, your customers take care of your business. So what we aim to do is build the humans in our organization. So when people first start with us, you have to do a lot of management because you got to build competency and you got to build productivity. If you don't spend a lot of time in management, you you end up cleaning up their mistakes and you suffer from superhero-itis. You dive in, fix all their problems because you think you're a superhero and nobody can do it as good as you. Of course, no one can do it as good as you. You've never trained anyone to do it anywhere near as good as you. But the difference between delegation and abdication comes when there isn't a system, there isn't a measure, and there isn't any training. If if you don't have a system, a measure, and training, you're abdicating. You're You're not actually delegating it to somebody. So we work very firmly on a management structure that allows people to get high performance, so high productivity and high ability to do the job. And then with the leadership, we flip it over and we say leadership's also about two things, and that is about passionate and focused people. So we, if we've got no passion, we know that leadership is waning. If we've got no focus, we know that leadership is a problem. On the flip side of that, if we've got no competency, we know there's a lack of management or bad management. Uh, if we've got no productivity, there's a lack of management or bad, bad management. And so we, we have to balance those things in any organisation that we go in and coach and any organisation that we teach. But, yeah, there's all 20 minutes on YouTube. Jump on it. Yeah. And sorry to get them off your, sorry to get them off your podcast, Matt. By the (laughs) way, subscribe to this, hit the subscribe button right now. I got, I got some raisin, uh, rum and raisin coming your way for that, for that little (laughs) plug there. Um, Coming through these past two years, 2020 and 2022, Uh there needs to be a balance of leadership and management. And I, I love the talk track that you're on because leadership is about passion and how your team is interacting with their customers and with their, their selves and things like that but management is about productivity. Any words of wisdom on how you balance that between 20 and 22 uh, as we've been through these like very choppy times right now? You know, you, because, what, because we've gotten far more virtual in all the organizations that we have, you need far more management today than you ever had before. You need to be, and management is a daily and weekly task. Leadership is a monthly and quarterly type task. You're not, you're not trying to do leadership every day. You're trying to do more management and, and that style of thing every day. But ultimately for us in our companies, we believe that if someone hits their goals every day, then we'll hit our annual goals. You know, we're no more complex than that. We're very simple mm-hmm. in that you have to measure every day. You have to, you have to have a plan every day. Before you leave our business, any of our companies, before you leave at the end of the day, you must have your plan for tomorrow. Your list of everything you're going to do for tomorrow must be completed before you leave. And that increases productivity by about 30% in most of the companies we put it into. So it's, it, there's nothing I teach, Matt, that's, that's complex. I try and make everything simple. Like, you know, people are like, you, read, you wrote 17 books. Yeah, my job in every book is to make stuff simple, you know, to, to, and, and 
I, I just taught a digital marketing class for people on, on social media. And they're like, well, teach me digital marketing, social media. I said, well, you shouldn't call it social media. You should call it social marketing. Social media is what other people write about you. Social marketing is what you put out there into the world. So make sure what you put out there gets starts conversations and gets people moving. But um, look, leadership had to shift at the start of this pandemic. This is my fourth ever economic downturn. If, if we can, I, I'm not an expert in pandemics. I'm an expert in the financial. So if I sound too matter of fact, it's because I'm talking the business side and the investment side, not the, the um, uh, human side of it. But in, in the business world, we had to change our leadership. Leadership had to go from communicating weekly to communicating daily. When, when people are in worry and panic, you had to change how you do it. I did a whole webinar, it's also on YouTube, of how to market during a pandemic because your marketing had to change. Your sales had to change. Your sales either sped up dramatically or were much slower because you had, you had people in worry and panic and all of those sorts of things not knowing what decisions to make. And so you had to create that. And where you used to be able to shake someone's hand and, and do that, you couldn't do that anymore. So how do you over Zoom build that same level of relationship? How do you do all those things? And so we had to work with a lot of our clients around that sort of stuff and um, just making sure that people understood the distinctions. But interestingly enough, though, Matt, for most business people, each pandemic or each, each downturn in the economy, because it's a seven to 10 year cycle, okay, the economic cycles are seven to 10 years. So when in November 19, I sat with my executive team planning uh, our next year and I said, gang, something's going to happen, either China or Korea or Brexit or the US elections, something's going to smash the economy because it's time. You've gone 2012 to 2020, and an eight-year bull run. You can't keep having a bull run for that long. It's, it's overheating. It's done that sort of stuff. So what are we going to do? And, and none of us could have picked a pandemic. But given that we'd done it so many times and most people had never done it, when the economy tanks is the time to run. And so I got on there very quickly. And, and when 2008, I spent a million dollars of my own money flying around the world, teaching people how to survive the, pan, the, the downturn. In 2020, I got on virtual and I did half a million people in the first three months of teaching how to survive and thrive through this thing. I, I literally, right here in this office, I recorded a 10-day training program on how to survive and thrive and just gave it away for free. And thousands and thousands of people went through all of the 10-day training and it was like, and the, the, the level of thank yous we got because I survived because, you know, otherwise I would have just put my head in the sand and I was telling them, no, this will be the biggest transfer of wealth you've seen in your lifetime. This one, this one was, and... It, it proved out a third of businesses boomed, a third of businesses found a way to survive and a third of businesses went down, you know, and, and I, I love it. My commercial cleaning business, we were like this. Yep. Our biggest problem was getting staff. You know, how yep. do you recruit, hire and train virtually you know, <laughs> for people that are going into the, into the wild in full-on orange suits and spray machines? And anyway, that's a whole other story. Yeah, I um before we close the, this conversation on leadership and management, there's a great great quote out there by Stanley McChrystal, General Stanley McChrystal, that says leadership is like a garden. You need to tend to it every single mm -hmm. day to see it grow and nourish and flourish. And that is almost down to the T what I did. So I'm a, a sales leader at, in mm -hmm. my W two role. 
when things started going down in March of 2020 is I set up basically a daily call for 30 minutes with everyone. And sometimes we got on there and shot the shit and we didn't do anything but play a trivia game. And sometimes we just went around the room and did some, uh, how are you feeling? What's going on in your world? Tell me something new that you found. And then sometimes it was like, what did you, what's the best practice you're implementing right now? And where are you seeing directions, uh-huh. et cetera. But that daily touch, I felt like helped us communicate and stay together as a team. Um, people, people were worried, buddy. People were lonely. Yeah. And that, that was a big thing. Get rid of the loneliness. Yep. yep. Well, you're really good about talking about systems and thinking about mm-hmm. systems. And I want to kind of pull some of that from you because that's something that I'm evolving in and I'm working on actively working on trying to get better is I see the end goal, but how can I put in a system to make it a repeatable process so that I can back away and move on to the next thing? Mm -hmm. Um, With that being said, I don't really have a question. Talk to us about your thought processes on (laughs) systems and how you build them in your business, I guess. I first learned about systems from a guy by the name of Mike Bash, who was one of the founding vice presidents at Federal Express. And he had a simple statement. He said, systematize the routine and humanize the exception. And so what we just talked about was humanizing the exception. What the system side of it really does is say, what are the routine tasks in our business or in our day-to-day? What's the daily routine task? What do we got to do every single day? What are we going to do every single week? What are we going to do every single month? There should be a system for that. Now, I, I use system, when I say create a system for that, the simplest system in the world is the checklist. Right. Every pilot knows the checklist. Every person that ever got on a plane knows that the pilot does a checklist. And if the pilot doesn't follow a checklist, you're dead. You know, that's that's as simple as it is. The the reason they do it every single time is they like to survive. All right. That's that's the thing. So if you want your staff to perform every single time, you need a system. You need a checklist. Whenever everyone says to me, oh, my staff are sort of up and down, there's performances up and down, it's because there's no checklist. Like as a real estate investor, do you have a checklist of what you look for when you go in? I literally, when I first started out, created a single page. I'd go in and I'd fill out the entire single page. Done. Every time I walk into a place, what's the renovations going to cost? I'd put all my estimations right there. What's the rental going to be? What's this? What's that? And it had every question that I needed to ask on a single page and I'd walk in there. And back in those days, I ran software on my laptop. I'd go out, put it under the Excel spreadsheet to tell me my internal rate of return. And I'd go back in and make my offer. Based on the internal rate of return, I worked out I could get the old cash on cash return, depending upon your, your languaging. And so I'd go back in, make the offer with a check attached and, hey, presto, that was when you did that sort of stuff. And, and, and that was the way we did it. But um, if I want performance, I need a system. And so I use a lot of videos for systems. In our restaurants, we video the chef, the chef videos creating every dish, the photos of every stage of the dish. There's photos on the wall that show this is what it should look like when it's prepped and this is what it should look like when it's clean. It's not hard. Creating systems, people get all this because they went through ISO 9000 training and they realised, no, I can't possibly do that. Well, ISO 9000 stupid, if you ask me. It's documenting the dumbest way to do stuff. But what we want to do is create the simplest way. A system sort of assist your team to doing a better job. Uh, my, my analogy for system is it's save yourself time, energy, and money. So I first fell in love with it when I realized as a business owner that every system I created saved me five to 10 minutes a day or a week. Yep. So I was like, if I create enough systems, I don't ever have to work. Training systems. So when we hired people, a hiring system, a training system, you know, all of those sorts of things. And once it's systematized, it's done. 
Now, you've yep. got to keep revising your systems because times change and things change, but it's no longer about creating it. It's now about editing it and, and updating it. But the business, ultimately, I go back, Michael Gerber wrote a great book called The E-Myth, and there's things I agree with Michael on. The systems are very important. They're not the only thing that's important in a company. But it comes back to, you know, that people should run the systems and the system should run the business. So rather than people running the business. Yeah. And it's one of those things when we were talking about the real estate piece, you were talking about leverage, create once, use multiple times. Mm -hmm. you, you know, it's the same exact system it's, or the same exact thing. It's just applied towards a business and an outcome versus just investing. Um, the last thing I want to really talk about while we got you is this 90 days to revolutionary, your, revolutionize your life. And I was taking mm -hmm. a look at that program. You basically got it broken down to 30 minutes a day for life, 30 minutes a day for business, 30 minutes a day for wealth across three different months. Um, yeah. but one of the things you talked about was that it's a program that deals in principles. Can you talk to us a little bit about why you use the word principles specifically? Because I love that word and there's a number of different reasons why I love it. But why did you use that words and, and help us define that a little bit? You know, uh, so when I hit 50, what I said is I'm going to record everything I know about business, everything I know about life and everything I know about uh, wealth. And so I, I said, all right, if people want to learn, then I'll do it in 30 days. You do 30 minutes a day for 30 days. What I'm going to teach you is the principles of success, the principles of business and the principles of wealth. Because, you know, the guy watching the program in, uh, you know, Chile is, is going to have to learn the same principles as the gal watching it in the UK uh, or, or my neighbour here in Vegas. You know, the principles will never change. And so it really comes down to, and one of my greatest mentors, uh, I never got to meet him in person, but I got to study all of his work on video and, and stuff, was Buckminster Fuller. And Bucky, Bucky used to talk about generalised principles, meaning true in all cases, like gravity. It's, it's true in all cases. There's, there's no case where gravity isn't true. People say, what about in those machines where they're anti-gravity? Well, that still proves gravity because it's a machine that makes it the other way. <laughs> so... When you look at the core principles of how you succeed in business and like with business, there is a recipe for creating business success. And we've done it because, I mean, for us at Action Coach, we have 280,000 small business owners that we work with. They te we teach them our systematic methodology of success of a business. And if you follow the recipe, you succeed. There's a, there's a recipe for success in life. And I'll give you one of those in just a moment. There's a recipe for success in investing. And, and most people, they, they go and learn real estate, but they don't learn how to build an investment portfolio. And if you don't learn how to build your own family wealth business, and it is a business, it's a wealth business. It needs a business plan. The plan is we make money here and we invest it here. We make this, we invest that. This is the plan for the business. And your entire family is a member of the board of, of the, the shareholders and the board of directors of that company. They're also the employees of that company. Uh, and so you look at that, but going back to just to give people an understanding of a principle, my success, my formula for success is very simple. Dreams times goals times learning times plans times action equals success. You got to start with dreams. If W. Somerset Maugham said it best, he said, nothing if not at first a dream. If you don't dream massive, then your goals won't be goals. Your goal will be to pay the bills. If your goal is to pay the bills, guess what you achieve? You pay the bills. You know, someone taught me many years ago, you're only ever as big as your competition. So with Action Coach, I set the competition of world abundance through business re-education. I want to create an abundant world by, you know, doing that sort of thing. 
So you take those dreams, turn them into goals. Dreams are like 10 to 20 years out. You have no idea if or how you'll ever achieve them. If you, did, if you knew how to achieve it, it's not a dream. It's a to-do list item. So your dreams come, be, then become goals. Your goals then become learning. Now, what do I mean by that? If, I'm, if I set a goal to run a marathon, right, chances are I have no idea how to run a marathon. I've never run one before. I don't know what to eat. I don't know what training program to do. I don't know how to... All those things. So I have to go and learn. If I set a goal to double my business, I have to go and learn how to double my business. You can't just set the goal and go to work. You have to set the goal and then become the person that can achieve the goal. You grow into your goals. It's like when, when people say, oh, this is my goal, I'm going to be a millionaire, and their friends laugh at them, their friends are thinking of the person today. When I was 16, I met Jim Rohn, E. James Rohn, and Mr. Rohn said, told, taught me a whole bunch of things. And I said, I'm going to retire at age 25. I'm going to be financially retired at age 25. How many people do you think laughed at me, Matt? All of oh, them. Because they knew that 16-year-old me couldn't do that. What they didn't realise is that I was willing to grow into my goals. I was willing to become the person that could achieve those. I was willing to do the study, do the work, put in the time, energy, and effort to achieve those things. So dream, goal, learn. From your learning, you write the plan. From your plan, you go to work. If you don't have a plan, don't go to work, okay? And if you haven't done the learning, don't write a plan and so on. So yeah, there's, I, that's what I mean by principles. Yeah, I underlined grow into your goals because I think that's true. If you have dreams, then you ultimately action, mood follows action. And I was having this conversation with someone the other day around, well, Matt, you're just so passionate about doing Ironman, about investing in real estate, about doing the podcast and all this kind of things. And I'm like, I, I didn't start out that way, right? I did something that scratched an itch for a couple of days and it felt uh -huh. good. So I kept doing it for a couple of months and it became a hobby. And then all of a sudden I wake up six years from now and I'm still doing it. And it's a passion. I didn't. Well, you've got the I best job in the that. world. Podcast yeah. is the best job in the world. You get to interview successful people and ask them any question you like. It's a great job. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So one of the questions I was going to ask you is around principles versus tactics is principles are universal truths. Tactics wait in the wind. They come and go as the times change is what are some of the principles that you found behind building wealth? Well, you, you first of all have to go back to leverage. Okay. So leverage is the first one that, that sticks to everything. Do the work once, get paid long-term or forever. If, if you have to turn up to work to make money, then it, it's going to be a struggle for you because you're going to do that for the rest of time. Your goal is to have money that comes in while you're asleep. You know, why, why do I write 17 books? Because every three minutes somewhere on the planet, someone buys one of those books. So when I go to bed, I wake up with more money than I went to bed with. You know what I mean? It's, it's that type of thinking. I build businesses that run without me. Why? Because then I buy real estate. Why? Because on the first of the month, there's money that comes in. And it, what did I do for that money? Work 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever time frame ago. So that principle is, is the first and foremost. The second, I'll go back to the two things that I mentioned earlier, rules and niche. You've got to know your own rules. Business, you've got to have a set of rules. And people say to me, well, what should my rules be? Read my books. You know, do my courses. That's where the rules are all. Um, but the point of it is, if you don't have enough knowledge to write the rules, you don't have enough knowledge to invest. If, if you sit there and go, I don't even know what rules to have, well, then you shouldn't be investing your life savings. And that the third one that I'll say is that you need to learn to make more money than you are. Most people start investing with a very small amount and therefore they try to hit the long shot 
they try and do that massive success thing and, and land the great white whale rather than trying to, and, and they're looking for this massive return rather than looking for good steady returns time after time after time. If you learn to make more, because there's two sides to money, make it and manage it. You know, that's why in most of the time what I see is uh, great it's like a great partnership, a husband and wife, a father and son, a, a mother and a sister or some, you know, where there's one of them is great at making and the other is great at managing. Now, if you've got one who's great at bringing in the money, great, just ride that horse all the way home. The other one should, be, should learn to be great at managing all of that money. And so that, you know, you, you make it, you manage it, you make it, you manage it, and, and they're your two sides. But most people never learn to make more than a hundred grand a year, and then they wonder why they struggle at investing. Well, you're investing this tiny little amount because after costs of living and all of that sort of stuff, you've got maybe 10 grand a year left over or whatever it might be, depending on how many kids you got. And, and then you're trying to do too much with too little capital. So yep. you're trying to go too hard too fast. One last question before I switch us into the last round here is how do you remain flexible with your rules while remaining diligent toward to them? So um, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't ever remain flexible with your rules. Okay. Because when you, you wrote that rule, when your brain was logical, the time you're trying to be flexible with the rule is when you're emotional and you're going into like, I will never, ever, ever again buy real estate at an auction. I will send someone to do it, but I will personally never show up because I like to win. Yep. And by winning the auction, I lose. Yep. Do you know what I mean? So it's once you've set those rules, think of it this way. If I said to you, Matt, here's a million dollars. I want you to invest my million dollars. I want you to invest it by these rules. If you break the rules, it's not my money anymore. It's yours. You owe me the money back. Think of it at that level yeah. You know, because the, the level of because people are like, but this deal came up. It's this deal. Look at it. It's this deal. It's come up. It's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. Great. Do that. Good luck. Yeah, I, I think, too, what I'm hearing is the more specific the rule, the less flexible you should be. So, for example, a rule might be I am going to take my income and invest it in real estate. Well, you're not being very specific with that. That's mm -hmm. not even a rule. That's a... That's a guideline more than anything. Yeah. yeah. The rule would be I'm going to invest in any real estate valued between 200 and 300,000 that has a return of X uh, rental income to cover the mortgage, where I can get a mortgage for 80% value uh, with low mortgage fees, where I can get uh, 20, when I have 20% deposit money saved up. I will buy that house only if it's three bedrooms uh, or four bedrooms, three bathrooms. I'll buy it as long as it has two car garage. I'll buy it as long as it has these things. I'll buy it as long as in that neighborhood, the occupancy is above 97%. I'll buy it as long as there is an increase in employment in that marketplace. Do you know what I mean? Like you've got to get yeah. down to actual real logical thinking. And that's why I, I teach uh, four times a year. I do my, my um university and I teach buying and selling companies, buying real estate. I teach scaling businesses and I teach how to live a life on purpose. And in doing that, it's, it, if I can get people to walk out of a workshop with a set of rules, then I win because I know now they've logically thought it through and they're thinking like a, an investor, not someone who's just taken a shot. Yeah, man. It sounds almost like a checklist too. 
It is a checklist. <laughs> Should be. <laughs> well, Brad, fantastic conversation. I want to switch us now into the last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first mm-hmm. one is what's a book, what's your favorite book or what's a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Uh, I read a, uh, two books that I've read recently gave me paradigm shift. One's called The Membership Economy. Uh, it really is helping us to understand how the world is moving towards that whole membership mm-hmm. focus. And it's really great with leverage. Membership is you know, a long-term thing. And the other is uh, Oversubscribed. It's a great book on marketing of how you can sell based on, instead of saying, you know, instead of taking on three clients a month, you say, I only accept three clients a month. It's a different positioning in, in how you do things. Nice. Nice. Well, our second one is, I believe the person that you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the things that you do every single day. What mm-hmm. are some of the habits or the things that you do every day? Um, yeah. So I'll go back. The original quote I heard on that subject was you, the person you become in the next five years will be the people you hang out with, the books you read and the things you do. So um, Jim Rohn said that to me in I was 16 or around 16 years old. Um the, the simplest habit is is that of uh, making sure I stay fit. That's that's the number one uh, for for me is keeping fit. Um, I'm past the stage of the the work habits that so my work habits are not a good thing to to study because uh, I've already built that. My staff have great work habits and my CEOs have great work habits. Um, but the the main thing is I have a great personal assistant who makes sure I stay on track. Yeah, love it. Love it, uh, especially the one about health. I'm a big health freak, so uh, I like that. Um, you know, you've got to thir- be. You've got to be. No use being rich and dead. Our third one is: What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Yep. Yep. Actually, Jim said three things. I, I keep going back to Mr. Roan because he was such a pivotal point for me at 16. But he said three things that day that stuck out to me. Number one: Work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And and then he said: Never wish your life were easier. Wish that you were better. And it was like, dang, if I keep getting better, life just keeps getting easier. That makes sense. Um, Like real investing will never get easy. You just got to keep getting better at it. And the third thing he said, I ran down to him after the seminar and said, Mr. Ryan, can you sign my notes? And he signed my notes. And I said, "Uh, what's one thing you can tell me that will guarantee me to be successful? He said, said, son, it's real simple. Read a book a week for the rest of your life. Yeah. Part of my morning routine is I listen to Jim Rohn while I'm stretching and kind of moving my body just to wake up. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're aligned with how great that man is. My latest YouTube video was actually 45 best quotes from Jim Rohn and my, my personal 45. So jump on that one. I like it. I like it. We'll leave a link in the description for everybody. Um, our fourth one is what's the thing that you're most proud of? My people, be it your kids or your family or, or your people that work with you, watching my people learn and grow and become amazing entrepreneurs and amazing CEOs and amazing team members. That That's always the, uh, I think that's probably the most prideful thing. People. Yeah. The, there's one thing worse than being rich and dead and that's being rich and alone. So <laughs> well, we're, um, we're pretty lucky. I married a girl from Boston. So an Australian and a Massachusetts person, we, we like to enjoy entertaining and we have a lot of friends who go to a lot of sporting events and a lot of concerts and all sorts of great things. We eat out a lot. We entertain a lot of the house. My house has five bars in it for goodness sake. That's, that's yeah. how much we, we enjoy it. Actually, we're building but, another one. So I'll have to call it the sixth one. A lot of great accents in that conversation too, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, our last one is, if you could eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, dang. See, I, this is a tough one because it's a singular person. 
I would probably go, it's got to be a platform builder. It's got to be someone who built a platform, not just a product. See, Bill Gates built a platform. So Richard Branson builds platforms. Rupert Murdoch built platforms. That's, that's sort of the Steve Jobs built platforms. Got to be one of that style of person. I'm, I'm not sure I could market that one. But then again, I flip it over and go, I'd love to sit with Nelson Mandela. Um, Nelson Mandela would have been, or Bob Marley. Bob Marley, could you imagine? Well, yeah, you'd have to do that too, but you'd be with Marley, you know. <laughs> to be, so there, there are two people on my list um, that I usually answer that question with, and actually, one of them is Nelson Mandela. So right. I'm, I'm glad you said that. Um, well, fantastic conversation. I could sit here and chat with you for hours. Uh, it's so much wealth of knowledge that you're putting out there in the world all for free. And um, it, where, if our listeners wanted to grab some of that content, where's the best place we could point them? Uh, any of my social media. I, what I will do though, Matt, we did a deal at, at, uh, for Black Friday. Uh, I'm going to get a t- uh, one of the team to give you a link. My The 90X program, it's 90 days to change your thinking. I'll give it to everyone for 90% off just because they're your listeners, but they'll, they'll have a link for you. So it'll be for sort of, yeah, just for your people. I'll get one of the team to give you that link so that we can go back to that one and reenact that for your people. So awesome. Um, or they can hit bradsugars.com. It's pretty dang easy to find me. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. And we'll make sure to include all these links in the show descriptions as well. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.